0: Amen. You may be seated. Turn to Philippians 4. If you're new to Grace Church, normally our habit is to be preaching through books of the Bible. Currently, we are working our way through the book of Romans. Uh, During the holidays, we took a break to, to think and, and consider the names and the titles of Christ as we worked up to Christmas. And traditionally, on the first Sunday of the new year, we sort of have a, uh, an exhortation or a vision uh, casting message for the coming year. I decided to do that this year from Philippians 4 and... Um, We'll be kind of looking at that. We're not obviously we're not going to exhaustively preach verses four to nine. So, um, but we are going to look at them and see if we can gain some definition of what it really means uh, when we say to live as Christ. So, look with me. Let's let's look in Philippians four and read verses four. I mean chapter four, verses one to nine, and then we'll look briefly at verses four to nine and. Uh, Hopefully set the stage for the Lord's Supper. But God's Word, Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, or brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds, hearts and minds, in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. That's for God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lest the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Build it. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would build the house. That you would bless your word. That you would... Take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives according to our individual situations and need that you would work faith in us and repentance, be it initial faith and repentance and coming to faith in Christ or continuing and growing faith and repentance as devoted followers of Christ. Help us, Lord. Help me to preach your word. Help us to hear your word. Really hear it. Focus on it and hear it. Hear it such that we walk in its light with joy because we have a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. So bless us, Lord, in this time we look into Your Word. Prepare our hearts for communion. Prepare our hearts for leaving with the gospel joy in our hearts and being light and salt to those around us. Lord, we cry out to you. We can do nothing apart from you. Cleanse us from our sin. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us in the way everlasting. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We trust for it. We know it is your will. We ask it in and through our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To live is Christ. You're a little bashful, but yes, that's what we normally do. What does that actually mean when we say that? What is that little back and forth? When Paul said it, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because we say that all the time. And I think it'd be good to put some definition to that and put some definition to it that flows from the word and that is found in the same book. The Apostle Paul as he's, as he's reaching out to through a letter from prison to the Philippian believers who have been partners with him in the preaching and, and defense of the gospel. They've supplied his material needs and, 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 and been pra- in prayer for him and encouraging him. And um, as he's gone there and spent considerable time there, and especially in his second missionary journey, and there's been a church planted there. And so he's writing this letter to, to encourage them. And uh, the chief theme in this book is encouragement. Encouragement to find our joy in the Lord as we seek to walk by faith in His ways. Paul is challenging them and us and he's encouraging them and us to a joyful faithfulness as citizens of heaven. He encourages the believers and he does this in other places. To Follow me. It's a weighty thing. Follow me as I follow Christ. and only as far as I follow Christ. So he's trying to work in them to help them see what he means when he says to live as Christ and to die as gain, that the pattern of life that is his in Jesus as a disciple can be theirs and should be theirs and should be ours. We should be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and under him followers of those who follow him faithfully. And Paul, we know, and it's not saying they will all be apostles like him, but they will all be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, before we celebrate communion, I want us to meditate on verses 4, kind of a devotional meditation. It's not your normal sermon. Uh, certainly we couldn't have exhaustively preach through all of this. But uh, we'll be memorizing this section, and I want you to take this section of Scripture, hopefully, and write it down and have it visible and just leave it there all year and just be coming back to it and meditating on it and letting the Lord examine us to see Am I, when I say to live as Christ, and uh, is my life growingly looking like this? But Paul is encouraging the Philippian believers, and through them, knowing the Spirit was working, this is Scripture. Through them, through this, to us, about how we should live as followers of Christ. In verse twenty-seven of chapter one, he said, "Let your manner of life, let how you live, the way you conduct yourselves, let that back up your proclamation that you are a follower of Jesus." And he says here, "Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not walking in fear of opponents, but we won't continue there. In chapter 2, he sets Christ forth as the prime example of this humility and devotion that he's calling us to in Christ's humility to come and to be a servant to be born under his own law to not set aside his deity but but come as the second Adam to fulfill the law for his people who had broken it and to die to pay the penalty for our sins that every knee will bow and confess to him because he certainly was not looking to his own interest but to the interest of others he was others focused he was gentle he was lowly book about that on the table encourage you to read that that'll come into play In the sermon here today. And I I guess as as I'm preparing this and thinking about this and thinking about what to say, first and foremost, I better be asking this of me. Is my life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Does my life look like this? Not that we're glorified yet, but am I growing in these graces? And then to challenge us to be growing in these graces as well. So by the time Paul comes through uh, the gospel in proclamation and encouragement and exhortation, he comes to chapter four. You see him do this all the time. He's making some concluding remarks and bringing things together, and he does so. He does so in four, four to nine. This is not something separate from to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is all meshed together, married together, in kind of an of a snapshot. If my life is living out the fact that for me to live in is, is Christ and to die is gain, then it'll look like this and look like this in growing measure. So we're going to look at verses 4, 4 to 9. Simply the title, uh, To Live as Christ Defined. Um, the main point is really a question. What does it mean? We're going to give definition to that. But what does it mean when we say to live as Christ? That's the whole purpose to put some meat on those bones this morning. And so as we walk through verses 4 to 9, we'll see these ways or these ways that that kind of life is defined. A life that is in line with for me to live as Christ. A life that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is faithfully following Him and being used by Him to, to reach and comfort and nourish and strengthen others in the faith. Literally, Lord, what would you have us to be? And this is a good, good, good summary of what the Lord would have us to be. So look back in verse 4. After encouraging a fight for unity in the church, and there's some who disagree and help these people come back together. Um, he says this in verse 4. And this is a repetition of what he said in chapter 3, verse 1. Right? Rejoice in the Lord this is kind of, he's still expanding that final message. And in verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord when it feels right. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when the times are good, when you're happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And anytime something is repeated, that's emphasis. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. You think about something else Paul taught in in Ephesians 5.20, I think. Give thanks for everything. That's kind of crosses our circuits, doesn't it? We think we're supposed to give thanks for the good stuff. But no, if we know He's sovereign and He's for us, He's at work through all of it. It might not all be fun, and a lot of it might hurt like crazy, but he's, He promises to be with us and for us and be at work through all of that to make us like Jesus. See, without the gospel, this is impossible. But He doesn't, and He doesn't, notice what He says. He doesn't just say, rejoice always. He doesn't just say, don't worry, be happy. He says rejoice, and He gives us where to? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Evidently, in the Lord, we have everything necessary to rejoice always. See, this is not a circumstance-driven happiness. But a deep-seated commitment and joy in our God that shapes everything. I can rejoice through tears of both happiness and disappointment, pain and excitement. Uh, you see, rejoicing is deeper than this sort of circumstance driven happiness that we, there's nothing wrong with being happy. But we got to look, we got it, every day, we we've said this before, we have to put on our gospel glasses so that we can see things rightly. We know where we live. We know it's a fallen world. Ecclesiastes, I'll point you back to that series we recently did. We live in a fallen world, a dark world, a world in rebellion against God, and we are here as messengers of the light of the gospel. Yes, we go through some of the same struggles and pains as everyone around us, but we don't do it alone. He's with us. What he's telling us here is is, that To rejoice always, you have to be God-centered in your thinking. Not that you don't realize your circumstances and your struggles, but that you see them through Him and who He is and what He's done for you and His promises to cash all of it in to make you like Jesus. So it's impossible without this God-first, God-centered mindset, this gospel-centered mindset that we see everything through Christ our Lord, our Master, and what He's done for us and who He is for us so that we can rightly interpret life in a fallen world. And so that we can have this abiding joy. Isn't that what we always want? All of us want abiding joy, right? But we think, we think everything has to be going smooth for us to have it. And that's not true. Christ promised us in this world you will have trouble. But you have sufficient grounds in me to be of good cheer. For I have overcome it for you. Abiding joy in the Lord even through the trials of this life. That rejoicing through laughter and tears. Always because we're thankful for everything Let's just review how in the world can that... What is it about in the Lord that should fuel such a joy? Look back in 3.9. Uh, I'll back up. Paul is giving up his pedigree. He's giving up everything that is him. He's giving it all up for Christ that his hope and salvation might be in Christ. He says in verse 8 of chapter 3, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Watch. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but... That which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God through faith. And it depends on faith. See, we've talked about that recently in our sermons in Romans chapter 3. So I won't rehash that. Go listen to those sermons. But the fact of the matter is, is that if by God's grace we are turning to Christ for our salvation then in Him we have the knowledge because of His promises that He lived for our righteousness, that He died for our sins, that the curse is due us. See, we've all broken God's law. We've not kept it. We've not even gotten past the first one. We've broken it and we deserve condemnation for that. And He steps in the gap and took that wrath upon Himself after He had fulfilled all righteousness. Born and lived under His own law. He took the penalty on the cross. He died. Scripture says He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What do you mean? Old Testament Scriptures that pointed forward and predicted that. He's the fulfillment. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And salvation is found in receiving Him, trusting Him, resting in Him, not being good enough. Today you came here for this to be part of your being good enough to please God so He'll love you. You failed. Hopefully you came to rejoice in your Savior. Salvation is a free gift to those who will trust Him. You mean I can know right now that every one of my sins... And listen, if God's at work in you, you should be convicted about sin. Grieving over it, hating it, fearing His... Wrath. And I can know that all of that sin is dealt with. That I am cleansed from it. That I don't bear it anymore. Why? Not just because God's a good grandfather and he's father and he's just swept it all <laughs> under the rock. No, he nailed it to the cross with his son. Christ paid my debt. That's why my Savior's love, we just sang about it, is such an awe-inspiring thing. Because He came to save His enemies. He came to save us. He lived for us, fulfilling all righteousness. He died paying the penalty for our sin. Every one of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, lambs being slaughtered and it had to be a perfect lamb, and all of that was pointing forward to this true Lamb of God who would come and really deal with sin and take it away. So that if you're trusting in Christ this morning, if you have turned and your hope is in Him, you're not seeking to go your own way and just have Him rubber stamp it, but you've been grieved about your sin and you've repented, you've turned and trusted and receiving Christ and now you love Him and want to walk with Him, you can know that your sin is forgiven. Every sin. If He's forgiven one of them, He's forgiven all of them. You mean the worst thing? That thing that I can't forgive myself for? Stop that. You're not your authority. Yes, that thing. If He's forgiven you one, He's forgiven you all. You are a saint now, not, a, not just a sinner. You are a sinner saved by grace, but God's Word calls you a saint. Why? Because you've been cleansed from your sin. And it's better than that. It's not just that our record before God in His judgment bar was wiped clean, so it's now a blank sheet of paper, but that Christ's righteousness, His record was credited to us. Now our record reads as His. Before God. If you're trusting in Jesus, you've been forgiven and cleansed for all of your sin. It's washed away. God God is not judging you or looking at you through that record of failure, but your record now is one of righteousness because Christ's righteousness has been imputed, credited to you. On the cross, He said, It is finished to tell us, die, paid in full. He's purchased a perfect righteousness for us. He's purchased a perfect forgiveness for us. He's purchased a new heart for us. He's purchased a new destiny for us. New heavens and new earth. This world is not our home. We are passing through. And when we leave this world, be it when He returns or before He returns, He will receive us and we will be with Him forever. Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty. He washed them clean. He clothes us in His righteousness. We are adopted into God's family. Justified, declared, righteous on the basis of Jesus. Being sanctified. And someday He'll finish that work. Being glorified. When He appears, we'll be like Him. What does that mean? Glorified. Finished. That's the basis for you being able to Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Find your identity in Him. Your hope in Him. Your comfort in Him. Your purpose in Him. Kids, what's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. Or this literally, in this way, in this manner. He loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. Do what? Live for us. Die for us. Be raised. Reign. Come again. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, whosoever trusts in Him, negative side, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you have everlasting life. Should be a hallelujah behind that. If you're really looking to Christ, if you have on your gospel glasses, if you know who you are in Jesus and who He is for you and what He's done for you, even through the tears you'll be able to rejoice to catch it in the Lord. So the first thing he's mentioning and the thing I want you to take away, that a the to live is Christ, and yes, I'm trusting Him, and I have forgiveness, and all of that. It, life is defined by Him. All of, if I'm really living in light of to live as Christ, I will be living a life of rejoicing, a life of worship, a life of rejoicing always. Yes, individual worship outside of the Lord's Day worship, and then joyful coming together. See, daily worship doesn't. Take care It doesn't scratch the need for gathering with God's people on the Lord's day. It's His day. It's His worship. He calls us in. Make the sacrifice to be here. Don't teach your kids that it's less important than whatever else is going on. This is that when we gather to glorify our good and gracious God who has saved us, we rejoice in Him, and He's at work in us powerfully. But the first characteristic of a life that is to live as Christ is it's a life of rejoicing. Secondly, i got to move on. Look at this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now the ESV takes that word and translates it reasonableness. And you know I love the ESV, that's what we, most of us use. It's, I think it's not the best translation of that word this morning. I think the New King James, the Net Bible, some of those get it better and get it right because they they translate it as gentleness. And I think that's the right way to see this. There are other contexts in which the word is used where you would be saying be gentle twice if you take it, you know, be reasonable twice, I mean, if you take it as reasonableness. But the word itself should be translated gentleness. Let your gentleness be known. To everyone. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under the control of the gospel. So that I can be gentle with you as Christ is gentle with me. Doesn't mean I have to like what you think or believe or what you're doing. If you're a follower of Christ, and in fact, if you're not, look at it. Let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Paul told Titus and he told the the, the believers there in Crete to teach them this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. That's our word. That's our same word. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. See, we need to be careful, don't we? in these times in which we live, that we don't let our tongue fly. Because everything we say about everybody around us is to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, is to express a gospel gentleness. We don't have to agree with people. But we do need to be gentle and not, not discourteous with our tongues as well as with our lives. Jesus was the most gentle, gracious, forbearing. He, he even calls Himself gentle and lowly. Come to Him and find rest for your souls. There's a book right over there on the table. I think I'm counting four or five of them. My eyes are not what they used to be. Four of them over there. that Expand upon Christ being gentle and lowly. I would encourage you to read it. That's from Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He is gentle, gracious, forbearing, and we're to follow Him in that. A smoking wick He won't quench, right? How gentle He is with His people. And the word here means being gracious and forbearing. And it's the kind of gentleness that flows from humility. Pride would cause us to not be gentle, to be gruff and rough and harsh. And you know pride's not a good thing. One of the seven deadly sins, right? Humility. He's already used Christ in chapter 2. There's nobody ever been more humble than Jesus. Nobody ever been more powerful. But more humble to take what He didn't deserve. To not treat others the way they deserve. To think of others more important than Himself so that He could be gentle with sinners who needed salvation and save us. We are to be known as people who are gracious and forbearing, even with those with whom we disagree. Be willing to take a blow for unity in Christ's church. Humility is evidenced by self-sacrifice for others. That's how I know I'm humble. That's how I define Jesus' humility in chapter 2. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You should be known. I should be known. We should all be known. As gentle. And if we're not gentle, we're not humble. But there's a place to go with that. We go in repentance to God. We ask forgiveness. Ask Him to help us be gentle. Paul says, let your gentleness be known by everyone. You're not quick to get your back up. You're merciful in thought, word, and deed. You're not unkind, not discourteous, not disputing, not grumbling, not gossiping. there's, There's a lot of things. Well... I'm struggling to try to make you understand how important this is. Gossip is not gentleness. If you're willing to point out somebody else's weaknesses to other people, but you won't go to them. If you'll judge somebody in public around your friends, but you won't go to that person and and confront them with it, you're not being like Christ. You're not being gentle. The, the main way we're not gentle is with our words. And the sad thing is we're least gentle with those that are closest to us. And we need to repent of that. Do people around you know you as gentle, forbearing, gracious, forgiving? Please model that for your children. Please model that for your brothers and sisters. But but more important than that, please model that in following your Savior. To be marked, be gentle is to be marked by patience and tenderness toward others, especially our brothers and sisters. Paul has fought this fight in Ephesians 4. He says, "I, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. Look, he uses the word urge. We kind of make a, we have to make a, we have to do something. I urge you. It's a strong word. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Watch this, with all humility and therefore gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Are you bearing with your brothers and sisters in Christ? If you're just hanging out with the people you like and the people that agree with you, you're not. Your circle should include some of those that have matter, secondary issues that you disagree on, but you can, you can discuss them, but you can discuss them humbly and you still have fellowship together. If you're just hanging with the folks that are like you, let's do some work on that in 2022. So that we're bearing with one another for Christ and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, one of the reasons I'm pressing this this morning is the church has failed at this through this COVID thing. The church has allowed herself to be divided in the midst of this trial. You got those over here that take it they think at least they're taking it seriously. I don't know whether they're afraid of it or not. They're 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 seeking to to not have it be a problem and they're wearing masks and all of these kind of things and and some of them at least most of them I hope are doing it and seeking to honor God and love their brethren and so they're they're taking it seriously. Over here you got people who like this ain't no big deal. I'm free. I'm not doing any of that. If, you, if you're doing that, you're not following Christ. There's something wrong. That's weird. And see, the problem is both sides have done that. This masking serious side have judged this side. And this side over here have judged that side. We've cleaved. Instead of bearing with one another and being gentle with one another. Yes, discussing it with one another, but doing that in love and walking in unity together. And I'm just not getting on to it. I'm, I'm getting on to church at large now. How, are there unbelievers in the church and some of that's been revealed on either? Absolutely. True. But there are good people who love Jesus on both sides of that thing and they have not, they've adopted. If we're not careful, we adopt the world. If you don't agree with me, you hate me. That's not following Jesus. And sniping back and forth at one another, even on social media and all this mess is not following Christ. The enemy seeks to divide and conquer. That has been a strategy. It ain't going away, folks. We better learn how to to disagree on secondary issues and still walk arm in arm for the gospel. Or we can just go start our own little groups and be marginalized and ineffective and not having the kind of life that is worthy of the gospel or that is in line with to live as Christ, like Christ, and with Christ, and for Christ. And listen, I think this hits all of us. Just ask yourself, what, do, what have I done that I need to repent of? What do I need to do so that I'm more like this and less like talk radio or whatever you, whatever you listen to? Are you treating your brothers and sisters the way Christ treats you? Are you gentle? Would those around you say you're gentle? That's some fuel for meditation. I have to move on. Next, look in verse verse 5. Second part. Look at this encouragement first. And I guess you can see this as warning, but I think it's mostly encouragement. The Lord is at hand. What does that at hand mean? It means the Lord is near. The Lord is near. He's for us. He's not just far off somewhere. He's right here with us to the extent that he could tell Paul, why are you persecuting me when he was persecuting his people? The Lord is near. And what's our, what, what, Why did he say that? Now look what else he says. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is at hand. He's with us and for us. He died for us. He's making all things work for us. Making us new and we'll join Him in the new heavens and new earth where everything will be new. He's coming again to receive us and He's a sovereign Lord. He's a sovereign Lord who is with us. If you struggle with anxiety and fear, Theology is your answer. Knowing who your God is, we'll speak more about that in a bit. But, but he says the Lord is with us. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And on the basis of that, he says, do not be anxious about anything. If you struggle with worry, if you struggle with anxiety, I get that. I get that, and I can't tell you how much of a difference in my life um, the promise that all of my days were written down before there was one has had. And applying it to my wife when she's gone, I don't know what's happening, you know, and all that. Matthew chapter six, the second part. Can't tell you how much that's meant to me, in helping me deal with it. In light of the fact that the Lord is near, that He is with us, that He is for us, do not be anxious. Worried. A, a synonym of anxious is fearful. Look, look what it says. Don't be fearful about anything. Fear the Lord. And we can't go there. We have messages on that in Ecclesiastes. But let fear of the Lord replace all of these other fears. The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind which comes through our minds being transformed. It's not magic In light of the fact that the Lord is near, don't be anxious. Matthew 6, 25-27 Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Every one of your days were written down before there was one. You won't miss one. Honor Him and the ones He's given you. Do not be anxious about your life. Now look. Even down to the nitty-gritty, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Argument from the lesser to the greater. The answer is yes, you are much more valuable. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? You can't. It's unproductive. It's unbelief. So, what is, what is Jesus' point and what is Paul's point? Don't worry. Trust. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be given to you. Every one of your days will be given to you. Don't worry. Trust. Be bold. Flip it around. Be bold in Jesus and for Jesus, but gently bold. Meekly bold. Like Christ bold. A boldness that will feed unity in the church. Not disunity. A gentleness, same thing. He said, the Lord is near, don't worry. So if I'm not going to worry, what do I do? Number four, to live as Christ is a life of prayer. So we've, we've got here to live as Christ is a life of worship, a life of gentleness, a life of confidence or boldness. And now it's a life of Prayer. Look what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. What did Peter say? Cast your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. How do I know the Lord cares for me? Okay, I start looking at my circumstances. Stop. Look to the cross. That's how you know. He promised you this was going to be a mess. Look to the cross. Confident prayer. Now notice I said confident prayer is the antidote to worry, fear, and anxiety. Confident prayer is prayer that is shaped by the Word of God. By who God is told to me in the Word of God. By what He's promised to me in the Word of God. There's something I'm clinging to when I pray. And that's His blessing, His person, His promises confident prayer see here's what we do with this verse we we parachute in from 30,000 feet and we land right on do not be anxious about anything but pray and so we say okay lord I'm anxious help me not be anxious and then we look inside and go well that didn't work it ain't supposed to that's not how it works What are the three things that are important when we're interpreting Scripture? Mike got it. Context, context, context. Do not be anxious has a whole context around it here. And the context is... Sufficient ground for rejoicing in the Lord, being gentle with all people, right? Knowing that He's near and for us and all of that. So yes, we're, we're finding ourselves drifting into anxiety, but we've forgotten and we look to God who is... Listen, if, you don't, if, if you're fighting against sovereignty, you're fighting against your peace, okay? If you're not familiar with God's sovereignty, get familiar with God's sovereignty because that's going to set you free from a lot of this anxiety, but it's a, it's a knowing He's near and it's a looking to Him in confidence through His Word and prayer that delivers us. Not just a simple drop in, pull the verse out of context, stamp it on your forehead and see if it works. So don't be anxious. Be trusting. Be prayerful. Look, look how he, he goes on. In this, in this thing. He, and I, listen, I can't break this out. You have to, That's why we're going to take it all year and you can be home studying this. Do not be anxious about anything but everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Notice that thanksgiving there. Thanksgiving for everything. Let your requests be made to known to God and the peace of God, which he calls later a God of peace in verse 9. The peace of God will surpass all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds. Because this kind of prayer connects you with your God and who He is for you. And once you get there and see that, then you know you can trust Him with all of this. Some of this might hurt, but He's with you and for you in it and going to make it all make you like Christ. So in other words, we're, we're, we're confidently in our God. We're remembering who He is. And that's what Paul brings up next. I'm, i got to move. To live as Christ is a life of theology. To live as Christ is a life of theology. We're all theologians, either good ones or bad ones, but you can't say I'm not a theologian. Because the minute you start telling people who Christ is that you're trusting in, guess what you're being? A theologian. So just be a good one and be a growing one. You know, you look at the big, like a systematic theology book that thick, and you think, that's too big, I can't read it. Just start on page one. Don't look at the whole book, just start on page one. Same with the Bible, don't, oh gosh, that's so much to read. Just start on page one. Or 946, wherever God starts you. But just deal with that. But look what he says, to fill our minds with things that inspire worship. See, he started us off saying rejoice always. Now he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is loving, whatever is commendable, is there any excellent, anything worthy of praise? Think about these things. True, honorable, just, pure. He's just piling up words here to represent us filling our minds with the things of God that will inspire this rejoicing and worship and trust and confidence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed in the Word. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Fill your mind and your concentration with the truth of who God is first and foremost, especially when you're tempted to be fearful. But at all times... Those who know their God, Scripture says, will be bold to exploits. So you can't say to live as Christ if you don't care about theology. Because our minds are... See, the battle is for this right here. Romans 12, we'll get there in chapter 12. The application is to have our minds transformed by what? By the Spirit applying the Word of God to us so that we trust instead of fear. So that we can stand before the executioner and say, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Whole families were martyred, encouraging one another not to deny Christ. Could we do that? We're so spoiled in America and nurtured, and it's going away. Fill your mind with who your God is, especially when you're tempted. And then we have to do this in community. And again, i got to move. To live as Christ is a life of theology. To live as Christ is a life of imitation. And yes, you say, you know, like those in Corinth, I'm following Jesus. Right? But God has designed His church so that we also have community around us and we have people around us who are following Jesus that we can look to and be inspired by and follow after. Not that they're perfect, but we follow them as they're following Jesus. And look what Paul says here. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. How could he say that? Well, what he had learned and received and and practiced was Christ and who He was and what it meant to follow Him. So Paul is confident that he's following Christ so he encourages others to follow Him as he follows Christ. In other words, to look at Him, yes, but to look through Him to Christ and to follow Him. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11. So imitate those whose lives are are lives of worship, lives of gentleness, lives of confident prayer, lives of theology, lives who are people who are walking with Jesus. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's true every time. Jesus, yes, he he had dinner with sinners and went with what he didn't sin with them. He went there to reach them. But most of your fellowshipping needs to be with folks that you know, love, and trust Jesus so that you can encourage and exhort one another. See, the Christian life is a life of imitation. Yes, imitating Paul, Peter, John, those who follow Him. Yes, imitating faithful elders, and I hope we can be that and grow in that for you. Yes, imitating uh, people you know who are following Christ, but when we're doing that, we're really imitating what we see in them that is Christ-like. So we're imitating and following the Lord Jesus Christ. So ultimately, this is how Jesus lived. And that's why we say to live as Christ. There is a segment of to live as Christ that is living like Christ. Right? Living for Christ, living independence of Christ, living knowing Christ, trusting Him, resting in all of this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. John says this the, the apostle of love, the, the gentle love of the gentle ones. I'd encourage you to read 1 John and, and let it examine you. But in verse 6, now watch this and dial closely in. I'm almost done, I promise. I know we have to do communion. Whoever says he abides in him who Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what it means to follow him. Not that you're going to suddenly become God. There's been a lot of misunderstanding. People have gone crazy. But as the second Adam, in humble obedience to the the Father, walking by faith and trust in in, in His Father and seeking to honor and glorify Him, it was His food to do His will. John says, if you're claiming to be a follower of Him, you need to walk the way He walked. In that humble gentleness that we've talked about already. So look at these verses in reverse order, and I'm done. We'll go backwards as we go back through what we've seen. Follow Christ by imitating Him and those who follow Him. Fill your mind with good theology which will lead to trust in God. Walk in peace by praying in faith, always casting your cares on Him in faith because He cares for you. Be gentle with those around you. Many of them are struggling. And rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So this year, let's press into that and growing in that, growing in this picture of Christ, growing in these ways into the reality that for us then is truly to live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us. Help us to be disciples, followers, those who are living in you and for you, for your glory and our good. Those who are willing to take a stand for your gospel. Those who are willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and think of others more important and serve others to be this kind of rejoicing, gentle, prayerful, faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, when we look at texts like this, if we're spiritually healthy, we look at texts like this and and we say to you, I fall so far short of this. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. Cleanse me. Make me like my Savior. Make me like this. Lord, I thank you for your promises that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That you promise us that you are working out all things for your glory and our good. That you use all things to conform us into the image of Christ. First comes conviction. And then confirmation into the image of Jesus And I know it's a daily process. But Lord, I pray this morning that you'd have mercy on us, that we would be those who rejoice in you always, that we would be gentle as you have called us to be, that we would trust you and know that you're at hand, that we would not be anxious but prayerful and trusting as we walk through the difficulties of this life, that we would know you in a deep and growing way, and be serious, serious about following Jesus and having those around us who are following Jesus that we might imitate their example. Bless us and grow us. Thank you, Father, though, that there's forgiveness for how we fall short. That we have a Savior who's taken our condemnation. That we have a Savior that didn't just come and live for us, but died and paid the penalty for our sins that we might be forgiven. So prepare our hearts for Your Supper. Grow us in grace. Fortify our faith through Your means of grace. The Lord's Supper being one of them. Make us true, Lord. those who are growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are growingly, faithfully following you, Lord Jesus. And may this day, this worship, this sermon, this celebration of the Lord's Supper be just another brick in that wall of our conformity to Christ's image. Lord, again I pray, save those who don't know you. And grow in grace those of us who do. I thank you for your faithful discipline. For your love, for your grace, for your kindness. For your promises of forgiveness that we cling to. Because we have a Savior. Who has died for our sins. And been raised from the grave assuring us it's all true. Bless and help us we pray in Jesus name. Amen.